0: Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place. I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone and I've been using it just kinda scout some things out, get get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your 20-buck rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code, enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. The sleeper in the bus. It is Monday, May sixteenth. I'm your host, Paul sporer joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how you doing on this fine Monday?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh nailed uh twenty of thirty nine practice threes, which is uh
0: Damn, that's some stuff curry business right there.
1: Not my best ever, but uh oh, that I thought it good was gonna me. be I thought it was gonna be at some point. Um there was uh, I, I was ten for my first fifteen. And I was like, woo!
0: Oh yeah. So yeah, when you break it down like that, it's like I'm ten for fifteen, and then you know, kind of kind of only making uh, nineteen the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, yeah. But we don't need to know that. We, you could just say, listen, I spread it out and I ended up
1: <laughs> almost. Four,
0: oh, what was it? did you say twenty nine for fifty?
1: Uh, 40. For uh, no, uh, no, no, no. T- uh, I always go to 20, and it was 20 of 39.
0: Oh, 20 of 39. Okay. So, so right. it, however you know, long gonna... you take to make 20 is what you're saying.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I used to do it however long I took to um, make uh, make 20 and make sure I made one of three. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, like, trying to push that to one of two. because Well,
0: you made it t- today, 51%. Uh, that definitely works.
1: Yeah, I'm averaging around, like, 20 of 44. Which is all right, but, you know, one of two, I think, in practice turns into, like, one of three or one of 4 yeah. in games, My so. legs,
0: the thing of it is, after 39 threes, my legs would be shot. So the fact that you're even still making any toward the end is impressive to me. Uh, hoops, yeah, I think it does do a
1: better when I'm, when I'm not as tired.
0: I, I like softball, lot lower activity level there, and golf, just walk around and, and swing a club. Not very good at golf, though, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we got plenty to talk about today, and you know what? We like to do this sometimes when there's a big when there's a big event, and Jason and I get it, then we want your thoughts. Or if you and I get it, and I talk to Jason, I'll bring it up with him. So we're gonna get your thoughts on the on the Rude Odor Jose Bautista thing. Obviously, it was kind of crazy. Um, you just just what 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 did you think when you saw it? And are there any fantasy implications that you're considering with with regards specifically to Odor? um who could be looking at a you know a decent suspension jason and i mentioned jerks and profar where where do you stand after seeing all that on the melee of yesterday
1: you know i really don't like the way um the one thing i don't like so i i don't mind uh i don't like that we that people put throwing these players under the bus because you know i, I think i've talked about this before when i'm Playing basketball, I get pretty intense. You the heat know? of the moment
0: and, is constantly underrated.
1: Yeah, and you know, I've even I've cursed at other people for what I thought were ticky tack fouls in a pickup game, and it was because. I was just a raging bundle of hormones. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I wouldn't have done that. I, I think I even apologize sometimes, like on the way out after I've, you know, calmed down. But uh, I mean, to, to in order to compete like this, they need to psych themselves up and sometimes take, you know. And I'm not even talking about like illegal things. but sometimes drink like five Red Bulls. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Imagine- a
0: lot of relievers, relievers specifically, talk about that sort of stuff. Yeah that they will
1: Fred Lowry probably has a main line somewhere. Oh, he absolutely does. He absolutely right. <laughs> right. In, actually
0: those fangs that he has in his mouth guard, it's, it's yeah. actually loaded with uh, red bull concentrate. And so it's, it's just every time he bites down, it's putting a little hit of red bull concentrate in there, which is even stronger than, than, than normal can. So yeah, absolutely.
1: So, you know, they're pretty jacked up and, and ready to play. And, um, so I don't. I I actually have no. As much as like it looks like O'Dor has done some dirty slides in the past, and you know, Bautista has gotten in trouble a couple times this year. I don't think the slide itself was that great. Um, you know, the one that he that that started the whole thing Absolutely. again, or you know, the middle of it anyway. What I really don't like is the idea that self-policing is good because exactly, it's just going to keep doing this. I mean, yeah, okay. O'Dor went on and said today, um. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's over. I was just protecting myself. I don't think it's over. There's no
0: chance it's over. And the thing of it is, the last guy who got got always wants to get him back. Do it again. And that's yeah. why the self policing doesn't work. And y- you see, kind of the ex ball players who are on TV now coming out and say, "Oh, that's that's why we police the game." Do you really though? Is, is this really better than than the alternative uh, of you know kind of having the umpires and the league handle it? I don't think so because now. Like you said, the hormones, and they just kind of keep escalating to the next level. Everybody wants to get to the next level there. So I don't think it's over either. I'm totally with you there.
1: And the and not to get too weird, but, you know, in my history uh, with violence and in studying it uh, as a psychology major, like, I, I really believe in the, in the cyclical nature of violence and the fact that whatever, violence begets violence. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, And I felt it really personally. I got into a fight on a basketball court, um, you know, where we like for some weird reason, the teams were split along racial lines. So it was like mostly a bunch of white guys playing a bunch of black guys. And, um, you know, I took a charge, which you're not supposed to do in basketball and pick up, you know. But I was getting tired of this one guy, you know, doing this one move where he put his head down and just sort of ran towards the basket um so i took a charge and uh they got really mad at me and they claimed i hacked him and all this stuff and i was like I uh, no i beat him to the spot but yeah okay i mean it's a foul you get the ball and i was trying to make it not a big deal because i'm not a fighter but it turned into a fight we got our butts kicked a little bit and i dreamt about that for months <laughs> i dreamt with that and it and i dreamt about beating their asses in my dreams. I couldn't believe it. I would wake up and be so mad at myself. Like, who are these people? Who cares? What is this? It means nothing to me. It was just a stupid little thing that happened. But, you know, there's something... And it might be uh, sort of caveman stuff. might be sort of Neanderthal stuff where you just... Or, or I don't know what it is. Self-protecting? It's like once violence has been put upon you, you sort of look for... A place to to put it, Mm -hmm. you know. It's almost like a virus, and then you know, once it's been put upon you, you you feel like, ah, I've been slighted. I need to slight someone, basically. And I don't know if it's it's ever that, you know, you're ever that conscious of it, but I think that's sort of what happens. That's the feeling. uh, Yeah, and I think that right now, uh, I think a lot of you know Blue Jays are feeling like they were put upon. And, and, uh, And
0: I think their biggest beef with it all too is that you did it last second so there's no you know they, they texas put their cap on it because you know they waited till the very end of the last game of the season between these two teams and that really seemed to bother toronto as well where, where do you stand on yeah, that they, do you think they should have they done it earlier do it.
1: yeah they didn't do it in toronto well when they, they weren't going to do it there i'm okay with that but what
0: about friday night in in texas
1: Dyson, I mean, the thing about doing it in Toronto is that Dyson could have done it, and Dyson was the one that pitched him the, the, um, the whole, you know, bat flip pitch, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's a little bit weird to have Matt Bush come up, you know, young guy, you know, just come up with this whole crazy backstory and have him do it in the last game. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think there's also a non-zero chance that it wasn't necessarily on purpose. You know, it's like, you know, we could have been doing this all this whole thing just because you know a ball kind of slipped out of his hand. So, I mean, uh, it'd be interesting if he
0: took it upon himself. And you know, I've, I've read the hot takes today, and you know, we were talking offline so about how I had headaches. a really bad headache, and now I just figured it out. We couldn't, we could not figure it out where my headache came from. You know, <laughs> so I think headaches. we just uncovered it. It was the hot takes.
1: <laughs> I couldn't shake so this
0: funny. headache. It was like this pounding behind my eye all day, and I just realized it was from the, the hot takes. They, they, were, they were pretty bad. There were a lot of bad hot takes out there, as is going to be the case with a situation like this. But, you know, you get the old school guys who are happy when two teams hate each other because they don't like seeing friendships among other teams. Does that ever bother you? You know, like the Yankees and the in the Red Sox, by and large. Obviously, they still want to beat each other. It's it's rivalry, but they they don't – despise each other at least not everybody on both of those teams does that bother you in baseball
1: no because uh, because of my perspective i mean i i'd like i like uh sort of squirreling out friendship lines and i like sort of you know noticing which pitchers talk to each other and you know i like i like sort of uh thinking of these guys as some of them being friends and i mean it's a it's an industry so some are friends some hate each other I don't think that it is a little bit to do with my the change in my fandom. I'm a little bit more specific to player fandom now than necessarily team fandom. Mm-hmm. And um, I do, I do sort of understand. I think that what happened yesterday was good for business.
0: Oh no doubt. Uh,
1: and I think that that's what some people are sort of reacting to, uh, you know, maybe unconsciously. But it was definitely good for business. And, and if your business is writing and, and opining about about baseball, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, or being on a talk know, show. And I'm, a, and I'm a person who thinks that this is a, 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 a game uh, that's supposed to entertain us. So, you know, that's fine, too, on that level, except that I don't think that these guys all signed up to be boxers, you know?
0: Well, Odor you know, not, certainly did. My goodness. And that's, that's the thing that really set it to the next level is we just never see punches landed like this. They just yeah, don't get landed. We see them thrown. You know, there was um, – I think Grant Brisby wrote, wrote one today, and his actually wasn't necess- – it wasn't the, the hot take – awfulness it was measured the way he always is there was humor it was logical it was really the opposite of the hot take culture I don't know how uh I don't know if he's gone to hot takes 101 you got to go to that class Grant and learn how to do your hot takes yours was way too uh way too measured and smart but um he showed one that from his childhood that he remembered a Giants one where Will Clark slid in and then had to fight like three Cardinals and you see where Ozzie Smith goes for this Freaking haymaker. By the way, after already cheap shotting Clark, he goes for a second haymaker and misses. And if he lands that, holy cow, I don't even know like what happens to like Ozzy Smith's legacy or anything like that because it was one of those that could have done some damage. And another one I think of, and this one was in hoops, but there's this one time that Shaq took a swing at Brad Miller, and it was kind of from a behind thing too, and it and it just I think it would have gone through his head and just punched his brain out of his freaking head and, and lucky for Brad Miller, um, he missed Shaq missed. He must've treated it like a free throw because if he would have connected, I don't even want to know. It would have made the Rudy Tom punch, Kermit Washington, <laughs> punch, it would have made that look like a slap. I'm not even joking. And so, you know, we, we see these, these haymakers thrown a lot of times they're not landed. And I think that's what really took this one to the next level was the fact that he landed, he landed squarely. It was yeah, it was pretty, it was and, pretty and, and
1: there is a his, long history of just sort of hopping around. Yep, yep. I mean, that's uh, that's the normal baseball fight is just sort of hopping around, looking at each other. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit different than than most. And there's this like video of, of Odor doing very something very similar in the minor league. So, that one was crazy too. You know, it's all it, it's not. I don't think it's very cut and dried. And I'm just I'm not willing to really uh, put anyone specifically under the bus. It's just. Um, I don't really like. I don't really love the system that leads to this. Uh, you know, people, I just. Don't, I'm not a big fan of self-policing. I guess it's. Um, it doesn't seem very effective. I guess that's the
0: thing. I don't. I agree with you there. I just don't think it's necessarily effective. And and like you said, it begets more violence. And you know, I do hope we get them in the playoffs though. <laughs> I just think that that would be unreal. It was an amazing series last year you know even without the animosity leading up to the the bat flip and everything the 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 thing off of what was it off of DeShields' bat when Martin threw it back and they scored a run all that sort of stuff that series was already great you add in this and they those two teams could play each other again if Toronto uh, gets on track and Texas stays good pfft, that that would be insane but anyway i just want to get your thoughts on that um yeah but, one... I
1: mean for Odor, it is a little bit difficult because we always know, know that these guys can um Uh can really go out there And and uh and what's it Called they peel it and then You know you don't then they drop it When it's like you know good for their schedule Or something hurts or you know and You know there's always like The chance that he takes it right away Just to get it over with or he doesn't you know so Like I don't think I'd Sit him this week because I think it'll take a little time That that was the advice
0: I gave on Twitter Was not this week because I think it'll take at least a week to go and and just you know he's in the lineup tonight. Odor is. I don't. I think yeah. it's a situation where there's going to be a lot of review. I don't know that we're going to hear another word on it in terms of from the league until even Wednesday. I don't. I don't even think something's going to come out tomorrow. I think it's going to be a Wednesday situation where we start hearing about fines and suspensions. And then of course, like you said, there's the appeal process, and that could take a while. So honestly, you might just go with the odor this week and then worry about it next week.
1: Yeah, I think you'll get three games out of him at least, but. Yeah, it'd be hard to know, and uh, and he may appeal it right away and, and keep playing under appeal. So, all
0: right, well, let's talk about some players then beyond these guys here. We got uh, we got some listener requests actually. A lot of y'all tweeted out guys you want to hear about, and frankly, you guys can can kind of do that uh, throughout the season. We're very open to that. If there's somebody you want us to mention, somebody we haven't really talked about. Obviously, keep in mind, if if we've talked about them pretty recently, unless something drastic has changed, I'm not going to pick those. But these guys that everyone mentioned here um, were were all pretty interesting. There was a couple that we each added, but otherwise, these were all straight from you guys on Twitter. So we're going to do our normal thing where we kind of go over just a handful of guys and and, and talk about what's changing with them and where they stand. And we're going to start with Ruby De La Rosa, a guy that we've definitely talked about in the past, but things have changed. And that's why he's definitely worth bringing up again. We've spoken positively about him in the past for sure. This was a guy that you definitely had a really positive outlook on going into last year. We saw signs of it. There was, you know, he he made 32 starts. And to make 32 starts of a 467 ERA, it actually requires a lot of good starts. So there were ups and downs for Ruby De La Rosa last year. Uh, you know, we'd see those hints of three, four starts in a row that are good, and then he'd get a blow up. And then he'd struggle with lefties for, you know, a full month or two months. I mean, the fact is, <clears throat> by and large, he struggled with lefties throughout his career, and that's been a big issue. Well, so far this this year, Ruby De La Rosa has, has really turned a corner. It doesn't necessarily show up in the ERA. 353 is not going to jump out at you, even though it's his career best. But I'm looking at a 106 whip over a strikeout per inning, a manageable three walks per nine, and the 6.4 hits per nine is really clean. And then you get into the splits, and you see a 536 against lefties OPS with a 162 average for them. He's made a concerted effort to be better against lefties, and it is working. What are you seeing here? Is there a game plan change uh is it just riding a hot babbitt they've got a 196 babbitt against them or is D- ruby de la rosa influencing that to garner such hot numbers against lefties what have you seen
1: uh you know it's the weirdest it's the weirdest thing you know normal normally the playbook against lefties is to throw more change-ups and fewer breakers but um as far as i can tell the, the growth for ruby de la rosa this year has been throwing fewer break through fewer, fewer change-ups and more breaking balls and, um, you know, the sort of the, the type and aspect of those breaking balls has changed a little bit. He used to be kind of throwing a Worthen type slider, which was really hard and didn't have a lot of depth, but now he's throwing, uh, something that's kind of in between, um, I would, I would say probably he's throwing the best version of his slider because he used to have a slider that didn't have much depth and was faster. Uh, and then and, and before that he had a slider that would that had a lot of depth but was slow. And now he's sort of got one that's in between. I think he's sort of found his, his um, Goldilocks slider as you could, as you might call it.
0: <laughs> I like, that. And, I like uh, that.
1: I mean, it used to be uh, like 80, 83, 84 and have a lot of depth. and then uh, yeah, 83, and then it was 86, 88 last year, uh, getting on close to 90 late in the year. Uh, and now it's more like 86, and it's got it's got more depth. So uh, I think he was, he was fiddling around. He's been looking for a breaking ball forever. And, you know, the, what's weird is the changeup was taught to him by Pedro uh, Martinez. And, you know, in terms of depth, he, it's the worst that's been ever this year. And he's not throwing it as much. But in terms of outcomes, he's stopped. You know, he hasn't really given up a home run on it this year. And, or I mean, he has. I'm sure he has. But uh, let me see here. Um, yeah, but he's cut the home run rate almost in half. So on the changeup. So you know, it's. Uh, I think it's everything is about a mix. I think you know when when in the in spring training, I was kind of getting excited about him because he was busting lefties inside a little bit, mm-hmm. and I thought busting them lefties inside with the four seam would allow him to throw um, you know uh, the changeup away, and they they would get stuck in between. The problem is, and I saw it even on a game level in spring training, was that he has such bad command. I think especially to his uh, glove side, he's such command bad command to his glove side that he, whenever he throws that fastball, trying to throw it inside, it leaks out over the plate. And you know, the the more it leaks out over the plate, the more it uh, it becomes hittable for a home run. So I think he's got a little bit nervous with that. And if you look at Sort of the inside-outside mix of his fastballs against lefties that haven't changed that much. He's not throwing them inside a ton, but what I think he has figured out is that the slider, the slider's movement in on their hands. Um, you know, he can throw that pitch without worrying about it. You know, the slider's actual natural movement will take it in on their hands, and so he can kind of bury that one in on their hands without worrying about it leaking over the plate. Uh, and that's given him a, like a movement that has allowed him to uh then go to the change up for strike three and so, um,
0: um, how interested are you in in Ruben de la Rosa right now what what are we talking about it's the next actually league? you
1: know it, I think it's good because last year he kind of had that change-up thing I've talked about this before where uh, he had 11 point eleven uh, percent swing strike rate and only seven strikeouts per nine and that was a little bit about the fact that uh change are maybe not always the best finishing pitches they're not um, you, you change up another a mathematical way of saying it is I found that uh, change up swinging strike rates have the weakest correlation to overall swinging strike rates among the different pitch up, pitch types. Okay. So you can have a good change up and get weak contact from it, uh, lead, like, get it to, uh, to a three strike count. But imagine you are a guy with a good with a good change up. I think everybody is waiting for that change up when there's two strikes. So you know, then you have to start throwing your fastball, um, you know, either to get a called strike or you throw the change up anyway. And instead of getting a strikeout, you get sort of a weak dribbler. Um, and uh, I think that's the sort of thing that leads to that sort of thing. It's Jared Parker always had like an 11% swing strike rate and a seven, seven K nine, you know, cause it's had a great changeup and a bad breaking ball. So, you know, Ruby this year has the same swing strike rate and is getting two more strikeouts per nine innings. And it's even if you look at strikeout percentage, it's the same thing. He's, He's definitely striking way more guys out, and I think it's because he has that extra weapon. So, you know, I, I don't think we should regress those strikeout rates too hard. I think, you know, Steamer with the eight strikeouts per nine, that's I think you could even be more aggressive than that uh, with the rest of season projections. So, like, all of it looks pretty believable. And then you look at the home run thing, and he has a 13.5% uh, home runs per fly ball rate. That doesn't That's not very sticky. It, you know, it's not very stable in a, in a small sample. And it should be ten percent. Now it's never been ten percent for him.
0: Yeah, he's al- he's so, always been over. Um, this is yeah. actually one of his good ones, thirteen and a half. He's fourteen right. <laughs> four for his career. You know, homers are probably gonna be part. Of- you know what's the bummer? It's not a great command. Yeah, it, and yeah. it is the command because you know he doesn't work up necessarily. He doesn't have a huge fly ball rate. It's it's really just missing because he can keep the ball down. He can get a lot of uh, ground balls, but then. And when he misses, it's usually fat, and and that's why that's why he leaves the yard so so regularly. On a guy who has a fifty plus percent ground ball rate for almost first career, is at forty eight percent, fifty three percent this year for Ruby De La Rosa?
1: Uh, and it's, a, it's a good change in a, a good singer. I, w- I would say that uh, uh, what he's doing now is a high water mark, but I expect less regression than most of the uh, projection systems, okay. just because. <laughs> All the stuff that should be sticky in small samples is looking good. Strikeouts minus walks is good. The ground ball rate, we're getting close to stickiness on that. That's good. I know he's got the 230 BABIP, but that's a little bit related to his home run rate too because a home run is not a ball in play, which is just a weird thing. So if you give up a lot of home runs, paradoxically, you might have a little bit lower BABIP.
0: (laughs) And and that works for hitters too. You see a low BABIP and you automatically assume. His batting average should go up because he has a low BABIP. No, he's got all these homers. Not you know, it, it's weird that like way. Like Bautista
1: never has a good uh, – never has a good bat. And
0: he's lately.
1: A fly ball guy. Yeah, fly ball guy with home runs. So anyway, um, I, I, I like Steamer 3.96, two nine with eight strikeouts per nine. That's 3.96 ERA. I could, I could see it a little better. I think I think of Ruby as a little bit borderline mix still, but okay. a good play if you need strikeouts. Kind of like a 3.75 guy. Okay. 3.75, 1.2, uh, a strikeout per inning. Gonna have some bad games, man. He's just gonna, you know, gonna have those two, three home run games.
0: That park, some of the competition. That he, you know, it's weird though, and this is just weird too. And I wouldn't necessarily utilize this in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. But actually, really good at Coors, isn't that weird <laughs> with, with, with Ruby? He's somehow, you know, and it's it, it's a handful of stars. It's not nothing, but it, uh, you know, it's not a bankable sample. It's just funny that a guy like this who has the struggles that he does, particularly against lefties too, which is where most of their their beast players are from on the left side, uh, no one Arenado accepted, of course. And then all of a sudden Ruby Del Rosa can go in there and, and, and pitch well. That's really interesting. Yeah,
1: and I wanted to say like, you know, maybe he's a half pitcher, but he's given up five home runs and uh two of them have been at home. So it's not um it's not so obvious. Let me see. Uh... That's a
0: tough, uh, tough part about maybe spot starting him is I don't know that there's an obvious situation where you where you spot start Ruby De La Rosa because like I said, randomly does well in Coors. That's one start you're definitely not wanting to take. You know, doesn't always do well in the in the big parks where you'd automatically expect. You know, he doesn't fit a good split situation to to maximize it's just him. Just
1: like how his command is doing that yep. day, really. Yep. Like how his how his mechanics are going. So. Uh, I, I mean, everything's a little bit better in a, in a keeper league, I guess. Where like something like this, this might stick. This this thing strike rate might stick, and um, you know the slider might might really pull everything together. Uh, but um, I think if you finish the season at something like this, I'd still lo- look at maybe selling him because you know the command is going to come back to bite him and at some point. The velocity is going to go down. Uh, right now, I think he can maybe make it work almost like on a Carlos Carrasco level, okay. where he just has three really good pitches and just throws them really hard and kind of somewhat towards the middle of the zone or, you know, loan away and just, you know, hopes the movement right. helps. Uh, so I, I think there's... Uh, uh, there's some chance he has a, 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 this kind of a year, but I I, I think more 375. Okay, I, you know it, it's a really borderline for everybody, but I'd I'd say like around 70. I'd rank him around 70 75. Um, still decent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're we're pro Ruby De La Rosa here. We always have been. Um, I, I I was wavering though. I'm not even going to lie. I was definitely wavering. Last year was tough. Definitely wasn't really getting him in mixed leagues. I got him in, in, in a couple NLs at the draft table this year just because, you know, he's one of those guys that sticks around, liked him in the past, said, why not? And obviously it's paying off so far. But, you know, it, it's not set in stone that he's this new guy. Not to mention the fact that he might feel like a new guy – because last year was his first full season. But he is 27 years old, too. Yeah. So it is a situation where not necessarily a ton of growth.
1: He's been on prospect radars for, for a three. long
0: time. Th- with two different teams already. With the Dodgers, then the Red yeah. Sox, and now with the Diamondbacks, obviously no longer a prospect. But there's, there's still you know a tinge of upside, but not the overflowing. He's not a 23-year-old or anything like that. So we like Ruby De Rosa. Well,
1: let's play this game. Let's say you didn't play him against the very best offenses this year. Um, you would have missed, uh, seven runs, uh, to the Chicago Cubs. Okay. Uh, and you, uh, would have missed, I don't know. Do you consider the Cardinals a top offense?
0: Yeah. Aren't, haven't Cubs they been very good against right handers this year?
1: Zero runs, 10 strikeouts, two walks. His you would best have start. Yeah. You would have missed his best start and at Colorado. The Dodgers one is interesting. Let's say you, you, you kept him out of the Dodgers game too. Okay. Um, then the rest of the games are one earned run, one earned run, zero, one, zero. Two, you wouldn't have played two. him at
0: Colorado, and you might not have played him in his last one against San Francisco because they're a good offense.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hard to play this game.
0: Because at Miami, he was bad. Five and two thirds, four runs, eight hits.
1: Well, just don't use him against the Cubs. How about that?
0: Yeah, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> that we can work with. Don't play anybody against the Cubs in the American League. Don't play anybody against the Red Sox right now. Not your marginal guys. Obviously your studs you're still playing, but not these marginal types who you're shifting on and off your roster. Let's move on to Matt Andres uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. This was a guy who you know, was a good swing man for them last year, 65 and two-thirds innings. Decent work. Not really a ton of strikeouts, but uh, 17% rate. 6% walk rate which is good more ground balls than than fly balls you know everything was kind of decent he ended up with a 411 ERA 132 whip nothing that really jumped off the page of course as a swing man we're just you know we weren't paying all that much attention to him anyway well this year he started the season in AAA so they could keep him stretched out they had Erasmo in there as their as their long man swing man type of guy, so they didn't necessarily need Andrees there for those multi inning relief stints or a spot start. And he went down there into into Durham and had three really strong starts, or excuse me, six starts, um, six strong starts where he had a 3.41 ERA, a 134 WHIP, 11 and a half strikeouts, 1.8 walks, half a homer, everything looking good, right? 26 year old in AAA though, we're not can 't go too crazy over it, but really good stuff and he 's always had good minor league numbers coming up he 's good in the minor leagues last year, uh, pretty solid in the minor leagues in two thousand and fourteen as well he 's been in the triple a circuit though he knows Durham he knows those teams pretty well uh, that, that he 's facing granted the, the personnel changes, but the minor league 's not really a challenge for him. Well, they brought him up, Matt andres, and so far so good through two starts, only one earned run in sixteen innings. Uh, however, those skills that we talk about. With the big strikeouts and, and and the low walks, only one of them has come with him, and the, it's the low walks, because that's something that he's always been able to do. The strikeouts have not really come up, and nor has any sort of swinging strike rate come with Andres to suggest that, okay, there's going to be a big strikeout boost coming. He's only got a 15% strikeout rate right now, 8% swinging strike rate, which is actually half a tick lower than where he was last year. Is this an interesting guy? Like I said, 26-year-old swingman type, but Tampa Bay can find these kinds of guys. They're almost, they're almost what St. Louis is to hitting with the, uh, the mid-20s guys that they, that they bring up, and they're ready right away to kind of be at their best. Is this one of those guys that's useful, or is he really just a swingman type of guy?
1: Well, I'm a little nervous about this one, but I have a comp. I think, I think, uh, hear me out. Kyle Hendricks, and the reason I have this comp is because I know for a fact that Matt Andrees cuts and fades his changeup. Okay, that's and, something
0: that that's big for Hendricks that you've that you've honed in on for a while now.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because if you look at, uh, especially let me let me make sure it's this year because I think there's a little bit more. Yeah, okay. If you look at uh, his overall changeup movement for this year, it looks like a slider almost. This
0: is Andrees almost- or, or Hendricks.
1: Yeah, okay. Andriese. It's a zero zero thing, but and there's almost nobody who has a changeup that goes zero zero, and that's what made me think, oh my god. So I, I contacted some people, I texted some people, and it turns out he he cuts and fades it, and uh, against right-handers, it's a it's basically a slider. You know, mm-hmm. it's a changeup, but it's, and it goes 85, but it has slider type movement. Uh, and then against lefties, uh, it has uh, more, you know, fade, side fade, side fade uh, and, and goes in the other direction. Okay. The, in general, it's not a horizontal pitch, it's a vertical pitch. Uh, and in general, I, I think he's probably kind of an over the top kind of guy uh, because he doesn't have a lot of great side to side movement. So that's going to be really bad for him in terms of uh, ground ball rate. I think his current ground ball rate is about the best you can expect. Uh, so that makes him a high, you know, high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. I think because you know, away from Tampa, at least you're going to be a little bit, uh, you're a little bit worried about playing a guy with like a 40% ground ball rate and an 8, 8% swinging strike rate. Yeah. At the same time, you look at those walk rates in the minors. And you start thinking Kyle Hendricks, and you're like, oh, here's a guy who can cut and fade his changeup, has great command. You just know that he's going to outperform his peripherals. I mean, that, that's the kind of guy. That's what I'm. That's the kind of the the screaming that I'm getting from his numbers. Now, of course, you have to be careful about saying that about anybody, but uh, when the projections are for something around the same level as Ruby De La Rosa, I mean, that we were just talking about three seven five, you know, ERA one point two. type whip. Um, He won't have the same strikeout upside. But then all those like intangibles that are in the bad zone for Ruby De La Rosa are in the good zone for Andrews, you know, in terms of command, which we can't always put a number on. I think he's got it in terms of, you know, finesse with his pitches. He's got one pitch. He can throw two different ways, you know, Um, it just seems like he's almost the opposite of uh, ruby de la rosa i mean his pitch comes in at 91 and a half you know um uh, but he's going to place it better he's not going to have the same home run issues i don't think um and uh so i'll take a i'll take a zips on this one uh 380 and maybe a little bit over but um you know gotta be conservative on the strikeout rate but 380 ERA, 1.26 whip, six, 6.9 strikeouts per nine.
0: So obviously AL only leagues, but what kind of mixer, if any, would you get Matt Andreessen?
1: Yeah, maybe if you had like uh, seven or eight bench spots for pitchers. Okay. Uh, you know, then I could see in like a 15-team league because you could start him uh, even in a weekly if you had two games at home. Uh, I'd be much more likely to start him at home or in, you know, Kansas City type places. Um, and, um, you know, what, it's hard to say when you would spot a guy that has good command and finesse, you
0: know, right. That, that's the tough it's, part. It's
1: not. it's like, like Ruby, it's a little bit hard, but at least unlike Ruby home, you know, home gives you two boosts. Home gives you the home boost cause you're home and, and there's a, just a natural boost for that. And then for him, uh, Tampa is a nice, a nice part for home runs. So. Um, you know, I had a hard time choosing this, this past week in AL labor, I had to choose between Juli Chassin and Matt Andreessen, and I had a real hard time, went back and forth, back and forth. And I hope I didn't make the wrong decision now that they're they picked up Tim Lincecum, but Oh God, you know,
0: yeah, we need to talk about that. I didn't put that on the list. I'm a dummy.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I know it's not
0: huge, but I guarantee if we didn't say anything about it, first message. After we posted is why didn't you talk about Tim Lincecum? I understand the fact that he hasn't been good since what 2011, 2012? but any a measure of hope here for you with him going to the Angels for Tim Lincecum? Anything?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, his big problem is command and home runs, and he's going to one of the better parks. Okay. So that's and they have you know they have a guy who's lost velocity and, and is making it work. So um, yeah, I I think I hope. You know, having bought Chassin, I, I'm pretty sure that Shoemaker is the one on the chopping block. Absolutely. Um, and that uh, Lincecum has to beat out Shoemaker. It also makes sense in terms of, you know, their pitching mixes and their problems, their home run problems, and who can get it figured out first. And, um, and you know, Lincecum wanted to start, so it's definitely, he's trying to get in that mix uh, starting rotation. and saw more of an opportunity there than in, in San Francisco, which is... Is probably saying something. Uh, I was gonna say that is it, interesting that, <laughs> that he couldn't
0: get back over there with uh, with Peavy and Kane, you know, seemingly having a door open it for it, two different spots. But um, maybe they just said, "Listen, we know you, and we know that starting is not going to be your thing. You're just going to be a Matt Kane or a Jake Peavy. So we want." I, I wonder how many teams wanted him to relieve, and you know, that was probably not something that he wanted to do. Tim Lincecum. Yeah. So yeah. Um, how, well,
1: he was how, only hitting 91. So. It's not going to be, uh, I don't, you know, if, if Tim, if I had a choice between Tim Lincecum, Juli Chassin, and Matt Andrees, Tim Lincecum would be last. Okay. So, you know, That's just to put him in the context bad. of these three AL only arms that we're talking about. But, um, you know, I could have, I could have gotten Matt Andrees. I ended up with Chassin. And the thing that I bet on there was just, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I prefer the swing and strike. I prefer the strikeouts.
0: We're strikeout
1: has a long, uh, yeah, exactly. And and though Chassin has had some years where he didn't have great strikeout rates, I think I'm willing to give a little bit of a pass to guys in cores. I have to figure out whatever they can do. And
0: um, the swinging strike the, rate has has been good in the past too. It had that yeah. lull there, and he was dealing with injuries. You know, 69 innings, 63 innings. 26 innings you know he wasn't getting full seasons he did have the one full season 2013 197 innings only seven and a half swing strike rate for chassin but like you said coors also adds another element where you know you kind of give him a little bit of a pass maybe he was changing the approach to try to figure out let me just get consistent outs and it worked because that was the year that he had a 347 era and a 126 whip uh for you least in 197 innings with the rockies so i'm actually kind of yeah what this he's is doing. year
1: for for yeah, and for for Justin, this is the best year for a combination of strikeout rate, swing strike rate, walk rate and ground ball rate, mm-hmm. you know. All things that are pretty decent in the samples that we're looking at right now. So, uh, you know, all, you know, he's he's looking he's looking good and there's not as much of a question mark about him, his performance going forward, I think uh, in that park. It may not have the same ceiling as Andre, so maybe I should have gone for that ceiling uh but you never know and also tampa man they just cycle through guys is Andres up or not you know is is he is he in this role forever or not and um you know what happens when other guys get healthy what happens when cobb gets healthy so i was really trying to hopefully get a guy in just that i thought could maybe do a 375 the rest of the season yeah
0: no i go uh, i go just of- andres Lincecum as well i think you made the right pick I think you made the right pick. Okay, let's move on now. Uh, we got a few more pitchers to talk about, and then we'll shift over to a few hitters. Tyler Duffy is a guy for the Twins who's, you know, kind of quietly come back up, and you know they don't have a lot going on there. And, and Jose Barrios getting smacked around again by the Tigers. Not too sad about that as a Tigers fan. Although he made uh, he made Justin Upton swing and miss, uh, looking like a clown. That that's interesting. Nobody ever does that. <laughs> so uh, it's it's so bad it's he's not on anything right now uh, so yeah that was the strikeout pitch but uh, Tyler Duffy's come up he had a good season last year 58 inning kind of debut little little 10, 10 start stint that uh, was really it, it was intriguing it was 310 ERA but a 131 whip whenever you whenever match those two up which one doesn't belong I think it was the ERA was a little bit lower than than what the skills deserve but not so much so That uh, He was completely off the radar for me, but then he didn't break camp And so that's what kind of pushed Tyler Duffy off the radar for me was I'm not trying to bet on a guy Who's already a little bit fringe who doesn't even break camp now? He is up though four starts in he's improved basically everything The, the more strikeouts fewer walks Ground ball rate is actually a little bit lower, but still you know a one three ground ball to fly ball ratio Which is definitely workable um, so he's at a 185 ERA now and a 111 whip again, that doesn't really match. So the ERA is going to go up But not to an obscene level actually that would match pretty well with the 310 ERA of last year Something in the low to mid threes. I think is viable here with this skill set Where do you stand on Tyler Duffy right now? Is he somebody we should be looking at beyond the AL realm or is he in the same category with these other guys? We've been talking about
1: uh, You know to put my biases on the table. My bias is against him for some reason. I think
0: you hate the way he spells his last name with that extra E, don't you?
1: <laughs> well, no, I just hate all Duffy's because I've always been out on the, on Danny Duffy. <laughs> actually, no, Danny is actually something worth bringing up because I never liked Danny Duffy because I, I never saw a pitch that was above average mm-hmm. in terms of pitch type stuff, you know? And uh, I, I've talked about that a lot. And there's a little bit of that with Duffy. And he, he's changed that this year, but... Uh, if you look over the course of his career um, and you take out the changeup, which I have to bring back in a second, the only pitch that he's got that's above average is the curve.
0: This is Tyler now, right?
1: Yeah, Tyler Duffy, 16% whiffs uh, on the curve, and the average is about 11. So, you know, he's, he's, he's got a good curveball, and that's what he rode into the ground last year. But I think in order to get back, someone told him that um
0: uh, got to have a little something else. Oh,
1: yeah, that uh, you got to have another another pitch really, and so uh, Duffy has come back real hard uh, this year throwing the changeup more than he ever has. He's thrown uh, 46 in his career in the major leagues and uh, 23 of them this year. So that that uh, it's definitely an up uh, considering the volume he had last year. The the whiff rate on it is good, but he's only thrown 23. He can't command it, and the movement is not good on it. It doesn't move as much as a sinker even.
0: And it's it's not really working. The reason he's been good is the decimation of righties. And and he's kind of not getting... Totally murdered by lefties. He's got a 483 lps against righties and an 830 against lefties, which is not good. I'm not suggesting that at all, but it's not so that good. 1100 that like De La Rosa has sometimes. It, it's it's kind of like staying above water so that you don't get killed and you can kind of get to the next batter to beat up a righty. It's it's almost kind of like what Jer- Jared Ikoff has been doing, but obviously Ikoff does it a little bit differently. He's got a better pitch mix, but it's that same kind of thing where the lefties just keep getting these guys. We have a lot of these guys out there right now who can really decimate righties but just don't have that third pitch to consistently get lefties.
1: Yeah, and I think that'll limit his upside and bring him down. His projections and current performance are way out of whack with each other. Um, You know, one thing I do like to try and just, you know, keep my eyes open and and really look at guys, he is throwing the curveball in the zone more often, like a lot more often. Um, and, uh, if, uh, if our pitch FX stuff can be, uh, because they don't have zone rate on Brooks, so I have to use our pitch FX for that. And, um, I've got uh, zone rate for the curve last year at uh, 40% and this year 47%. Although he had a curve and a knuckle curve last year, according to this. So really his zone rate was more like 36, 37%. So he's up, um, with that curve ball. And that just means... That means that when you're looking at his swing strike rate, which is below average, and his strikeout rate, which is above average, there's a little bit of give there. Some of that is throwing the curveball in the zone and getting a non-swing at it and getting a strike. But um, I still think there's too much of this dragging that strikeout rate down. He's you know got fewer innings than a lot of people that we've talked about, and I, I think his next outing he'll have, you know, four strikeouts and three walks and three runs and, and five innings, you know? And then all this stuff will, like, not look as nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and you and we'll, maybe the projections are off and maybe he's more of, like, a 390 guy, you know? Okay. Especially with a nice home park and, you know, maybe he's just going to throw the change enough to keep lefties honest. Although, 830 OPS, not really honest, so... <laughs> Uh, I think he's probably going to run into some teams that have a lot of good lefty hitters and, and get and get a little bit of whooping. So, so keep it. I just
0: be careful on Tyler Duffy. No, another AL only the guy, then.
1: Yeah, I think so. so not I quite mean, quite look, 89.5 and on the fastball, dude. It's like he's uh, like, you know, he's not my catnip. At least he's some catnip, but uh, you know, 89.5, and Sometimes I get lost on the 89.5 and mile hour righties because I'm like, oh, look at his other pitches. But you know, in this case, it's. Um, it's kind of more like almost close to the Rich Hill phenomenon because he's throwing half fastballs half curves mm-hmm. and but his curveball
0: isn't quite as good
1: I wouldn't call it a Rich Hill curveball no no Rich Hill
0: curveball is so filthy,
1: yeah, and uh, you know the rest of the package maybe it's maybe his fastballs a little better than the Rich Hills, but maybe not Rich Hill. I've saw 92s and 93s out of him in the last siving so.
0: Yo, so know you got uh, Jose Barrios in any of your lineups? Uh, it's just not good. It's six oh, six runs in the first inning. And, uh, it's only two-thirds of an inning right now, and they're probably going to come get him after a uh, basis-clearing double by Jose Iglesias, a gap shot. Oh. That was about three feet in height away from being a grand slam.
1: I guess we should have no i mean still the the swing strike rates all right but uh,
0: the, the thing of it is the stuff today. is nasty but he still he learned how to pitch and that's the thing when we take these gambles on these guys like him Shamanya this is in the range of outcomes it it has to be because it, it's a, it's a rookie coming to the game for the first time but there's also last year Noah Syndergaard in the range of outcomes that's why we gamble on these guys <laughs> That yeah. sounds crazy to say right now because of what you guys have seen from Barrios, but it was in there because he has devastating stuff. He's just not like, ready.
1: In, in mixers, I like to pick these guys up and leave them on my bench
0: and just just see.
1: Oh, get a get a couple starts, maybe at least, get at least one start in and see. Like you know, sometimes a guy comes up and everyone's like, okay, that's the business. There's no no doubts. I don't think Barrios ever had that start, so nope. could have had him on your ten team bench for two or three starts and then moved on real quickly and not really taking the hit. So, uh, and then that, it's also why I don't really buy those guys as much in AL only is because you
0: have to use them.
1: Yeah. You was stuck with them all year. No, that, so. that,
0: that's a fair point. Um, and, and your, your original point about putting, buying them and just putting them on your reserve roster. Cause you got to buy now and act later in, in 2016 fantasy. You can't yeah, yeah. wait three starts and then he's dominant and then I'll go get him. He's long gone. Like Jose they
1: like, really, if you're in a 10-team mixer and you want to play that game, drop Jose Barrios for Blake Snell right now yep. if he's out there. Yep. Because, you know, hopefully he'll come back up and you'll be ahead of that curve And he looked and- all
0: right in his first uh, He has a game where you can say, okay, that was some filthy stuff against the Yankees team. He struggled in the first inning and settled down. I liked his composure with all of that. Um, you know, just Barrios and, and Manaya just not ready yet. I'm not off them completely. They're just not ready yet. This is not... Again, it's in the range of outcomes. It's a bummer. I got Barrios in, in a couple leagues taking that hit, but uh, it, it's, it's just kind of what happens. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next guy here, and if I can pull up the list, I'll have it. Luke Jackson was just called up, I believe. Um, is he going to start or relieve? He's a, he's he's for Texas. He's a prospect for Texas. Really hard thrower uh, who's had kind of that reliever tag on him even when he was a prospect as a starter. Came up last year for you know, a little cup of coffee, was actually been a full time reliever now this year, so he's he's actually in the bullpen. Can he be a, a back end effective piece though? They're they're in a little bit of turmoil there with Sean Tollison, you know, kind of one foot in, one foot out. We've been talking about Sam Dyson's the guy to go get. In fact, I think he got the last save, right?
1: Um, yeah, he did. And you know, the first he got he's gotten two saves in the last week, and the first one uh, I got yelled at in my chat for. You know, talking about it as if uh, it was a big deal because I just thought, you know, this is this is how it happens. Uh, and, and in fact, the, the chatter said, uh, "Oh, did you see Dyson got the vulture save?" So I thought everyone knew on the uh, there was everybody knew from the chat itself that it was a vulture save. Mm-hmm. But somebody came in and was like, "Pay attention! You don't even you don't even know what's going on." Blah blah blah. blah. You know, that was that was just because Tolson had been used it two, two days in a row, and I was like. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for setting me straight, dude. Uh, <laughs> in the in the meantime, uh, Dyson went out and got a non-vulture save. So um, yeah, there's something going on there, man. There's something going on, and uh, I'm willing to. Uh, I know sometimes it takes. You know what? Is it just me, or has there been less bullpen turnover this year? Oh, there definitely
0: has been less. Right? There there's definitely four definitely. This
1: more saves definitely. on the wire, man. Yep. I mean. People yelling at me about this Dyson thing. I'm like, well, has there been like a million other closer changes that I missed? Well, and that's no. honestly, Dyson still one of the best pick. I've been talking about Dyson. Yes, I've been talking about him forever. And it, it will be kind of lame if it takes two months to get Dyson to the closer role. But it's not like two months that we're spent missing a ton of other guys. It, it's exactly. Like, the only I mean, thing- Dyson's still the best pickup. One of the best pickups out there.
0: We've only seen a few changes, and and some of the shakiest situations that we were like. Guarantee are going to change. Like Brad hasn't happened. Santiago Casilla hasn't happened. You know, Ryan Madsen took over for Doolittle, but Madsen was drafted in a lot of leagues because even if you were a Doolittle buyer like I was,
1: I had to worry about the shoulder. I was nervous.
0: And so I bought Madsen. I actually bought Madsen with both of the Doolittle shares that I had in the draft. And so that wasn't turned over. Uh, San Diego hasn't turned over. In fact, Rodney's looked great. Philly's turned over, but, you know, Gene Mar Gomez. Uh, okay, I mean, yeah, that, that, those were some saves. There, there has been some turnover, yeah, but, but it's been. I don't Linux. even
1: count. I don't even count that one because it was, it was so just like to up in the him. air, and one guy took it. I mean, okay. it's you know, was I wrong to say David Hernandez? No, I don't know. David Hernandez might take it, but uh, you know, I'm not calling for Genmar's job right now. I think let's say let's do a quick ranking of setup guys that are interesting right now. Okay. Uh, we got to put David Phelps on the list, I guess. AJ Ramos seems to ride a ship a little bit. Yeah. But uh, there's David Phelps. Um, D- Daniel Hudson has been linked. Absolutely. And that's... I mean, he's on fire. That's
0: one of those ones that we, we could get Sam Dyson-esque about, because we're probably going to keep talking about him. But if Ziegler keeps, keeps pitching and they you don't want to take him out, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, Ziegler is just a weird guy. He's going to have the worst velocity and the worst strikeout rate, but he, he, since his... Delivery and his mechanics and his his stuff is so different. He might just be a different class, you know. There might be he might you know Darren O'Day keeps doing it year in year out.
0: Not yesterday. You know, if Eat it.
1: if if Britain goes down, I my normal rubric is to look at like a Givens over over, over a Darren O'Day possibly right. Brad Brock. But but Darren O'Day's been doing it forever, yeah. And he's he, you know you kind of have to throw some of that out the window when when. He's obviously the setup guy, and you know has been doing it with that velocity. So, uh, but you know in Arizona, so we got Daniel Hudson, we got um, uh, we got uh, David Phelps, we got Sam Dyson. Uh, Let me look at the bullpen report and see if I'm missing anybody. Let's see. So, uh, yeah, I guess the red situation. I mean, Sigrani's
0: uh, in there right now, but who the heck do you even that's, like beyond that?
1: That's cool. okay, let's put Ollendorf on there. We're talking about set of guys that aren't closers, so we'll put Ollendorf on there. Okay. Uh, Trevor May.
0: Still like him.
1: Um, I don't know. That's That's, I think, the only sort of red-light situations out there.
0: And those aren't very good. I mean, those aren't that. Yeah appealing
1: sam dyson is clearly the best pickup of a use and and the, even if trevor may is an, an interesting pitcher that fits all the all the sort of rubric that we've laid out higher velocity higher strikeout rate all that stuff and looking good uh, and the setup guy so he has a role even if he comes in perkins is about to start throwing
0: exactly that's the thing so, and so if may somehow got it which by the way i think Am I wrong, or is it, has Jepsen gotten a little bit better lately? Nope, nope, he hasn't. He's actually been terrible. Um, <laughs> I had that wrong. And he's not going to get a save opportunity today. It's 8-0. Uh, lots of lots of room to work with there, Jordan Zimmerman. You can pitch to the score all night. Um,
1: but they're not. They're, th- that team's not really doing doing anything this year. They may just want to you know, give Trevor May a taste of the late innings without the, the saves on his resume. Mm-hmm. Go back to Perkins, build up Perkins' value, and, and you know maybe trade him in August and, and when he's healthy. I think uh, for what it's worth, Ramos and Phelps. That situation should at least be a yellow on our on our bullpen report. But so I'll, I'll put uh, and, and because Cincinnati may not give a lot of saves and just looks like a terrible team overall. I'm not running to get Ross Ollendorf, although I have him in a couple spots.
0: Did you say Seattle or Cincinnati. For some reason, Cincinnati. I thought you said Seattle. You said Cincinnati. Go ahead.
1: I said Cincinnati. Maybe it's not like Seattle. That's fine. fine. Uh, so anyway, I would go uh, Dyson. I don't know. The Phelps, the Ramos thing seems to have blown over. I, I don't know. Uh,
0: yeah, Dyson easily the best one going out there.
1: Dyson, yeah, Dyson um, may just, uh, I don't know. Maybe because Fernando
0: Salas like... with Houston Street out, but isn't Joe Smith? pretty I, I mean i
1: don't know yeah, he's all right he's all right he's,
0: he's what he is. i don't
1: like joe smith because he's at the low velocity but he's almost in that ziegler state where he's just you know he's done it forever
0: yep. you know? exactly just, you can't really look at the normal metrics because they just don't apply
1: and it's also just not like uh it's not a guy uh who coming in there throwing 88 and you know has a 188 babbit and and uh and everything's going to regress it's more like you know, proven, you know, sidearm weirdo guy, you know? Um, So I almost feel like sidearmers in almost every study that I've done deserve like their own chapter, their own, they have their own rules. (laughs) Right. I'll go, I'll go, uh, I'll just to finish it off. uh, Dyson, Ollendorf, Phelps, May. But if I really wanted to make sure I got good innings while I was doing this, then I might uh, go May 2nd just because I think he's the the best non-Dyson pitcher on the list.
0: (laughs) Actual breaking news. Okay. Uh, Garrett Richards won't have Tommy John surgery. Going to be shut down for six weeks. What do you make of that? By the way, cut in a lot of leagues. Whoops. I mean, I don't think...
1: That's- it'll take a while for him to get back. Look at look at Andrew Haney. Andrew Haney chose not to do uh, surgery, and he's he's not even throwing or anything. Yeah. So it, it'll take him a little while. I doubt he pitches a ton this year. And for anybody who says, just go get the surgery, the surgery doesn't always work. And it's, uh, it's
0: easy to say when it's not your career.
1: has ramifications the rest of your career. Second surgery sucks. Masahiro Tanaka is pitching with a partially torn UCL. Other guys do it. Listen
0: uh, or, or read. I, I'm listening to it, but... Read the arm and and by and, yeah. uh, Jeff Passon and tell me how much you, you – oh, just go get the surgery. It yeah, sounds yeah. so grueling to go through that rehab, it's, let alone yeah, the guys who have gone through disgusting. it twice.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I think uh, – I mean, stash him if you like. Um, but uh, I don't think – don't go crying that you, you dropped him and somebody else picked him up. You'll probably get some other guys in the meantime. Yeah,
0: I don't think you're going to necessarily regret that.
1: It, it's a – a little bit risky for the pitcher himself uh, because if it doesn't, you know, work out and he ends up getting the surgery this year, he misses all of next year and then he's a free agent. Yeah, so, he throws
0: away – you know, not throws away, but uses a whole bunch of time.
1: Yeah, and – but I guess, you know, and the other the other way of saying it is that uh, if he does it this way, if it doesn't hold and he has the surgery, at least the rehab is on, on the Anaheim Angels money. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll, he'll be getting paid while he's rehabbing and then he can come off that rehab and, you know, uh, prove to people he's healthy in the, in the spring and get a, you know, make make good deal, like a one year deal or something. So he'll, he'll be all right. Uh, money wise probably, but, um, you know, interesting choice. I think, uh people have some bad hot takes about it today
0: i'm sure there'll be some awful ones um i I hadn't seen that so getting the update was the first time i'd seen anything on it let's uh talk last picture to talk about here you're writing up about marcus stroman and i want to get a little bit of a preview on that because he's had an interesting season so far just kind of the way he's been marcus stroman got out to you know Uh, A low strikeout start. We've talked about this before where his movement on on his pitches is not necessarily conducive to strikeouts. It's more conducive to the heavy ground balls that he gets. Well, then all of a sudden he's kind of flipped it on its ear in May after a low strikeout. He didn't strike out more than five in any single start through April. And then so far this month, he's gone nine, eight and five. Uh, in his first three starts, what's going on with Marcus Stroman? Are we going to see the the K's kind of continue? Is it something that kind of he can pick and choose based on his opponent? Yeah, he's he's endlessly fascinating to me. it Feels like he throws like twelve different pitches the way he can manipulate <laughs> all of them, and I love the way he thinks about the game. And he's always you know one of those cerebral guys who's always trying to get better. What do you think about Marcus Stroman? What are you writing on? What's what's what, give us a little preview?
1: Yeah, I did an interview with him. I uh, it was fun. I waited. Wait, the job is so much of waiting. You're just standing in the clubhouse waiting and, and hoping you get five, ten, fifteen minutes with the guys. And you know, on that day, it looked like I was going to get nobody in the Blue Jays clubhouse. Like it really. I ended up going over and talking to Michael Saunders. I don't know if I'll ever write the piece. It was just there was nothing to do. So Michael Saunders, we talked about all the ridiculous things that have happened to his body.
0: <laughs> Does he hate sprinklers now?
1: Yeah, no, but uh, he did mention that the game is now uh, really built for trunk rotation and oblique stuff, and so he did lose a bunch of time to an oblique strain. He said that that seems to be such a part of the game, and it, it seems right to me because uh, when we went to driveline, they said the trunk, uh, trunk rotation speed was uh, one of the best predictors of velocity for pitchers.
0: Doug talks if about that all the time, about- too.
1: If you talk about hitters, they're trying to match that velocity, mm-hmm. getting bat speed. You know how else do you get the bat going fast? Is sort of trunk rotation. So, um, you know, I don't blame him for that one. You know what? I didn't know about Michael Saunders. He pitched.
0: Oh,
1: that's where the shoulder problems came from. Okay, he basically had like a torn rotator cuff from pitching as a kid. That's so interesting. He said they, you know, he was looking all the way up into the draft. He was, he, they were looking at him as a pitcher. So, anyway, uh, at the end of the time, Stroman shows up. He's uh, ADD and not, not in sort of red laurier way, but just like, I got this to do. I got this to do. I gotta, I gotta knock this stuff out. We were in an NL park. So he was like, I gotta take batting practice, you know? And, uh, and so he was, uh, he was sort of running as I was talking to him almost like uh, one foot in his shoes kind of deal. And, um, so we talked a little bit about stuff in general. He wouldn't give me his grips, um, but he said he felt bad. He said he didn't hadn't even wanted to give them to the to the uh, TV station. So, um, I guess uh, there's some regrets there. But anyway, oh, he, um, he asked
0: the TV, uh, the um, what is it? Roger Sportsnet. They asked him for him too, and he said no. What's that You're talking about Stroman didn't want to give his pitch. Grip? Yeah,
1: he said it. He said yes to them, but then he, uh, then he, uh,
0: he balked on it.
1: Yeah, I know afterwards felt like he didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, okay. So, okay. Anyway, uh, he, he wouldn't let me take a picture of it. He does have weird grips. Um, I guess this is the risk with Strowman. The risk is this uh, ground ball pitchers don't seem to age as well as other pitchers in certain ways, and he's an extreme ground ball pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, he hasn't really shown the capability for a lot of strikeouts except in little bursts. Uh, three, He's a three breaking ball, four breaking ball kind of guy. He's, he's got three breaking balls. He's got the cutter, the slider, and the curve. Um, and, you know, we've seen from Shane Green how that can come and go. You know.
0: Why you got to bring up <laughs> Shane Green? Why you got to make me mad?
1: Sorry. sorry. Hey. But, you know, just, he's, he's kind of like the archetype for me, the guy that has three breaking balls, but does he have one? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly.
0: Like, and we talked about that a lot.
1: Yeah, so you got to, you got to, they got to be separate. And I, I pushed him on that. I said, I said, Marcus, you're throwing a cutter now. Granky told me, other people told me, there's a, there's a problem there with the, keeping the cutter and the slider separate.
0: What do you say? And He's throwing both at the same. Actually, he, he
1: said, oh, he said, my pitching coach came over and said that to me. And I've said, no, no, these are different pitches, different grips, different mechanics. And, um, you know, I think to some extent, Yes, but also to some extent, no, because the, the pitching, um, the, 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 um, the Brooks baseball and stuff, they have a hard time with it. He said he throws two sliders to every curveball, and, and uh, the way he described them, there's no pitching algorithm that matches up with what he says. You know, there's no pitching algorithm that says, oh, yeah, he throws two sliders to every curveball, and this is what they look like. So uh, whatever he's doing is confounding the pitching classification systems, and I think that has a risk of sort of morphing together. You can see what's happening with Sonny Gray. Uh, he's lost the sort of distinction between his breaking balls. Uh, there's a little bit of risk there, but what I do like is he he said he concentrated on his body, and by concentrating on his body and getting stronger again in the offseason, he's yoked. And if you've seen his father, his father is yoked. It runs in the family. They are big dudes. And he he said by concentrating on his body, he got over the top a little bit more, which is you can see that in the, the the release point is a little bit higher. He's getting more depth on his breaking balls, and he added he's in the top ten for added depth on breaking balls uh, this year. And so I think that's where the swinging strikes are coming from, and that's what I was worried about last year when he came back from the knee thing. He's he traded uh, depth for for horizontal movement, and I, I thought that was gonna you know hurt him for strikeouts going forward. Uh, but he's done some work against that, and um, so. Uh, and, and talking to him, sounds, it sounds a lot like what you were saying, where he has a really good feel for spinning the ball, um, has a good way to manipulate them, has been throwing the cutter a lot more in these games that are, that are going so well, and, and really feels like he can bring the cutter and the four-seamer back. And he told me that he was in college he was a four-seam and breaking ball guy, couldn't get out of the fifth inning, 120 pitches, lots of strikeouts, home runs, uh, foul, foul balls, and, uh, and lots of pitches. So, you know, going to the sinker has helped him there. And then if he can bring some of that, that old-school mentality back and bring some of the four-seamers and more breaking balls in, he can kind of be the rare guy that has a 60% strikeout rate, a uh, 60% ground That'd ball rate,
0: sweet. And, and like strike.
1: seven to eight strikeouts per nine, you know, kind of like a, like what Keiko did last year, but maybe a little bit more sustainable year-to-year because year he has better stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think he's uh, he's a really good pitcher, I believe, I believe in him. I believe in him. He's one of the, got to be one of the highest floor guys with 93 mile an hour sinker that does that. So you know, um, it's it's probably the best sinker in the game, and uh, that gives him such a high floor because he's gonna have 60 percent ground ball rate, gonna have good babbits, you know, gonna be a good pitcher. So, yeah. you know, I think the deep, the deeper your league is, the more you like him, the more that high floor gives you a, a reason to get him.
0: Okay. So we're we're still in on on Marcus Stroman, I mean I just God I just really like the guy I like a, a little
1: bit more in like a yeah. little bit more in okay you know I think there's more strikeout upside in his in his future.
0: Excellent excellent okay we got a few hitters to go through here, um, let's start with Brett Lowry. We, we we invoked his name earlier anytime we talk about Red Bull I think we mention Brett Lowry. he's having an interesting season I actually wrote about him as somebody who I think is a is a worthy buy high I think the selectivity that we're seeing out of him even though the strikeout rate is up. Strikeout rate is not a measure of selectivity. He's getting in deeper counts now. Some instances he's being a little bit too selective. I've watched him. I watched a lot of that series this past weekend between the White Sox and Yankees because a couple of the games were on MLB Network, and I saw him take some called third strikes that were good pitches. You know, probably too close to take. But he is going up there saying, listen, I'm not going to get myself out with with the flailing, which is what he did a lot last year. Brett Laurie did with a 24% strikeout rate and just a 5% walk rate. This year he's at 31% strikeout, 12% walk. Uh, But the power is there. He's, He's finding stuff that he can drive. I like what Brett Lary's doing here at age 26. He got out of Oakland into Chicago. They're playing really well He's been one of the catalysts. We knew the defense was gonna keep him on the field That was probably the main reason that they got him is because their defense was so horrendous last year. They got him and Todd Frazier uh, Not necessarily gold Glovers, but markedly better than what they had not to mention both have legitimate bats What do you think out of, what do you see out of Brett Lary so far? Is it sustainable?
1: see I, I'm doing some stuff on a maybe a Marcus Simeon piece and um, I found that uh, where is it Let's see here Brett Lowry had the uh, know, where did that go well anyway I found that he had basically one of the best defensive improvements uh, for uh, for a uh, for a middle infielder oh so he improved
0: big time this year too
1: yeah yeah I think it's a top top three increase, and I think that really was some of it was small sample data stuff because over the course of his career he's been proven to be scratch or better defender and then some of it was maybe playing third and second being shuttled around and some of it was just you know the having uh Josh Donaldson on you know yeah uh, being the heir to Josh Donaldson at third base there having the trade hang over his head well, didn't he you have
0: know. some things where um the the shifts were improving his defensive numbers, perhaps artificially. Wasn't there some concern about that, or do I have that wrong? I don't know. I thought there were some things a few years ago because he was getting Bert Laurie was getting some big defensive metric numbers, and they're saying maybe the shifts don't aren't or are maybe kind of overcounted. Um, I don't know if the adjustments have been done there. Th- this might have been a few years back, but I've always known him to be a pretty solid defender, and so I, I you know, I like seeing him out there be a big defensive piece stay on the field, and then also hit. Because the the hitting has been there in spurts, obviously not as good as we saw in that 2011 breakout season. Or not breakout, really. It was more of a cup of coffee sort of deal. We thought it would lead to a big breakout, and it did not. But um, I don't know. I, I, the, the power with a little bit of speed. He's only two for four on the bases, but he's running a lot more. He only ran seven times last year. So to already, already have been running four times this year. I think he'll have more of a yellow light where he'll probably run – you know, 12 to 14 times this year. So he's going to have to be a little bit more selective on the bases if he wants any chance yeah. of getting to double digits. But he'll get you yeah. to 7, 8, I think. But with maybe 20 homers still. I think he can, I think yeah. he can pop 20.
1: And again, uh, you know, the defensive question was – that was uh, kind of a – the non that was just a, a – we just went off on a tangent there. <laughs> really what matters is the offense. And on the offense, the, the swing rates and the ground ball-fly ball mix, those are the best numbers to look at right now. Best, uh, smallest swing rate of his career and the best uh, ground ball fly ball mix for power of his career. Uh, he's definitely sort of swinging for the fences there and it's working. He's, you know, taking advantage of the new ballpark. And, uh, you know, even as the power, even as the batting average dips, I doubt it dips much further than 25 uh, 250. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be a 25 homer guy, but I do think he'll set a career high in home runs. Uh, which you know that's more than sixteen, so I, I think I'll, I'll give him a final line. He's two sixty-eight with five right now. I'll give him a final line on the season of like a two fifty-five batting average, you know, twenty-two homers and six steals. Okay, that's that's gonna be, I'm pretty sure top five in his position.
0: Right, I like that. I can I can I can vibe that. Uh, let's move on to our next guy then. Travis yeah. Shaw was a guy who got some attention this spring. Obviously, took the job from Pablo Sandoval had had a real big. You know, uh, debut last year. I think he hit like 13 homers and 200 and something at bats. So I was like, whoa, where did this power come from? He's got the, he's got some blood, baseball blood in him. He's Jeff Jeff Shaw's son. You guys might remember him. Uh-huh. 13 yes. homers and 248 plate appearances last year. Takes the job, comes out firing this year. Doesn't quite have that same pop. From a home run pace standpoint, but he already has five and 156 plate appearances, and he's hitting 317. He's got a 391 on base. Everything is looking really sharp for Travis Shaw. How legitimate is this for a 26 year old, medium at best prospect? He was not widely heralded.
1: You know, he's a lefty, and lefties in Fenway have uh, an interesting situation there where. The, you know, the, the lefty-righty um, mix there on, on Park Factors fa- favors lefties a lot mm-hmm. in anyway. And uh, so, you know, as much as I hate to dice up his numbers anymore because he doesn't have a ton of sample overall, uh, it is interesting to see that he has a 169 weighted runs created plus on the road. That I means his, his bat is 70% better at home. He's bat is 70% better than league average at home. And on the road, he's 20% worse than the average. Oh, wow. Here's another way to do it. His home slash line is 337, 395, 618. That's a 1,000 OPS. Away, it's 229, 299, Ooh. 380 with a 678 OPS. Wow. One, 151 ISO on the road, 281 at home. So, you know, there's something about his swing, I think, that uh, that has him set up. Uh and, you know, I am dicing up 400 plate appearances into home and, home and away mixes. But, you know, there, there is a fact of his home park. I think, you know, we talk about having half pitchers and, 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 you know, that sort of stuff. This might be a half a hitter. Okay. You know,
0: a home only guy. We don't
1: think of, of, rig, uh, we don't think of Fenway as being like a course or something. No. But uh, when there's this matchup and we don't know this much. And he had a 107 ISO and 322 plate appearances in triple A. His best ISO, you have to go back to A, and it was a 243 and 208. That's a 243, but it's in 208 player appearances. His whole minor league ISO is around 190. So he's just not – I don't even think it's 190. I have, to, I have to go to baseball reference. But, you know, anyway, he's overperforming in terms of power. That's the big thing. And, you know, even if the batting average regresses – if he kept that power, he'd be a very useful player. But that's why the projections are saying he's going to go back to a 167 ISO, big league average uh, in terms of power, and that's not that great at third base. Yeah. So I would uh, I would just – I would be careful about that home-away split. I would love to pair him with somebody. Okay. You know, I'd love to. You know, Gong, Gong plus uh, Shaw at third. Um, you know, with Gong playing somewhat much short on you know in some situations, or or even you know maybe Shaw plus Valbuena, where you know you're just putting in Valbuena for some of those tougher road starts for Travis Shaw. I mean, those are those are some ways that you can mitigate your risk at least if you buy in, because in terms of walk and strikeout rates and in terms of ground ball fly ball mix, I mean. You know, they're, they're believable. He's got some patience, and he's not a crazy free swinger. And, you know, things aren't that crazy out of whack, but there is that weird home run split.
0: Okay. So that that that's not a completely negative outlook on Travis Shaw. Probably not still out there anymore, so you're, you're this is more talking about what you should do with him since if you already have him or if you're talking about maybe getting him in a trade. Not Wasn't a huge prospect, so these numbers... Not hundred percent real, but if you can if you can manipulate it where you can start him home in a way, or start him at home, bench him away, I think that's gonna be your best bet for Travis Shaw. Good good call there. And then our last guy for the day is Brandon Drury. Now, you know, that Arizona offense, it's weird because they're actually doing pretty well overall, I believe. But it, you know, their main pieces, like Brandon, uh, Brandon, by Paul Goldschmidt and I think even David Peralta, they haven't been that good. It's actually been pieces around them, and now David Peralta's on the disabled list. It's been guys like Jake Lamb, who we talked about, and you talked up nicely um, in the preseason, Gene Segura who I was definitely wrong on so far. Um, I would say, no, don't go get him at all, and he's been awesome. Sorry, hopefully you didn't listen to me on that one. Wellington Castillo, we actually did like that power there. Um, you know, Goldschmidt has seven homers and a 117 OPS+. plus. It's just the batting average hasn't really been what you want. But when you're getting on base at a 390 clip, we can deal with the rest of it. But it's been these guys that are, are a little bit more secondary. Even Yosemite Tomas, a guy that we previously didn't like, that we both changed our tune on a bit, he's been good. And Brandon Drury's been part of that club as well. They've all picked up Paul Goldschmidt's relatively modest average and slugging output compared to what we expect from them. And Brandon Drury's a guy who's getting the playing time. He's got six homers. He's hitting three twenty. It's looking really good right now. Not a huge walker, but not a huge strikeout guy either at 18%. What's up with Brandon Drury, and how legitimate is this early start?
1: Well, I think one of the problems I had with, with touting Drury at all was that I just thought that Lamb was better, and with Segura not playing shortstop, I just uh, they're not going to you know acquire a guy like that and then not play him. Yeah, so I, I thought
0: just, they were an either-or proposition, Lamb versus I I, Drury.
1: Yeah, Lamb versus Drury, and they were for a while, but what happened was that Socrates Brito was no good, and AJ Pollock went down, and now David Peralta is their center fielder, which I didn't necessarily see coming because when I talked to people, they thought, oh, he can fake it, you know, in center, but he's not really a great center fielder. I think they're just going for it now. They're gonna they're gonna play him there because Brito hasn't even been doing well in the minor leagues, and he's their only other 40-man center fielder. Um, so now Peralta is the main center fielder. Owings. You know, split time defensive, you know, kind of guy there, and uh, Brandon Drury's pretty much their main uh, right fielder. Um, so it's not where we expected it was it was going to happen, and so I have to recalibrate and think back to when I liked Brandon Drury. Coming up, and uh, when I thought he was going to take over second base and Chris Owings was going to take over shortstop, he's been uh,
0: fielder now too. With 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 Peralta out, uh, Chris Owings he's been getting out there in the outfield.
1: Yeah. So, oh, did Peralta's out with that that bruised arm or yeah, something?
0: Yeah, he went on the DL I think yesterday or Saturday.
1: Oh my goodness! Old news. What you, how did I miss that? David Peralta's hurt? Yeah, he
0: just he it just happened I think.
1: That team is oh They're my goodness. Bitten. I mean, oh, well, I, you know,
0: that's that's a pun so that I didn't even mean. It's it, no. not even I didn't even mean that pun. I will take it.
1: <laughs> I'm very
0: happy about it, but I swear to God I didn't mean it. You guys know hey, I'll own people, a bad pun. I
1: mean, always, uh, maybe a little bit better than people think jury uh, I've always sort of liked him I like that he didn't that he would probably strike out less than than league average which has been the case I like players that combine power with with the strikeout rate like that they're the, definitely the kind of players that put up a good batting average which is harder and harder to get in these games so you know I'll take the over on his uh, projected 260 batting average I just think he's shown enough power in his history that, that that a 130 ISO is kind of cutting him short there and has enough of a good home park. To, to to put up better BABIPs and better better power numbers than that, so I, I'd say like maybe like a 280 type hitter with uh, maybe 18 home run type uh, full season numbers. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, absolutely. You know, the, the OBP might really come down if you're in an OBP league. He just doesn't really. He, he's had a this better is than
0: average Drury walk- again, by the way, who we're talking about.
1: Drury's had, you got a 20 season with a better than average walk rate. Right it's
0: a just 23 point split between obp and average that's not very good and so i agree with you the average is gonna, or the batting uh the obp is going to come down but if he can fake it and keep it over you know three ten, three twenty, just enough to not be god awful where you have to come out of the out of the lineup the power will play i think like you said 18 homer Kind of full season stuff should you know should leave him with an, a decent number of homers. And I know he's playing in the outfield, but doesn't Brandon Drury have third base eligibility in most leagues? Or do I have that wrong? Right, like
1: you, yeah, you get to play him at third, which makes him it makes him more appropriate. Yeah. So I, I mean, the nice thing with Chris Owings, you get to play him at, at short
0: yes, while he's while he plays in the outfield. Is he any good? You said he's probably better than people think. How how, how good?
1: Uh, one last note on on Drury's. He spent every he spent every week above average.
0: Okay, y'all so this is a little bit weird. Uh, you notice he was talking about Drury, and then it goes out. I'd actually stepped away to get a drink really fast because I knew he was going to be talking you know for like a, a minute or two, and whatever the twenty seconds that I would miss. It it would be easy to pick up on. You know, I've done it once or twice before where you just run, grab a drink, come back. He's still talking. Boom. We pick it up. However, something happened in the midst of that and his audio cut out and I had no idea until I was editing. So when we come back, he's talking about Owings and I just thought everything was was normal until I realized in the editing that it went out. So I apologize for that. It's a little bit disjointed. Uh, So when we pick it back up, this is actually finishing on Owings. I think the long and short of it is he's all right on Drury and maybe a little bit higher on Owings than than the norm. Um, but go ahead and, and listen to that. So this, when we pick back up, is actually on Chris Owings.
1: Though the power isn't quite there yet, I, like, I think that there is, it might come still. So, you know, he's getting a little bit lucky on balls in play, but, you know, his projections rest of season are going to miss the fact that he has more power upside than, than that, you know? There's too much of that injury baked in. Okay. If you look at his minor league numbers, there were, you know, three out of every four years he had better than average ISO. So I think he's more along a guy who can hit 260 with like a 400 slugging percentage. Uh, It's not very exciting, but, uh, you know, 12 homers, 12 stolen bases, you know, maybe 15-15, 260. It's not very exciting, but with all the injuries, it seems like he's going to play a lot and, um, you know, it it, it can play. I think it's a deep league play. Uh, a little bit better than nothing, and especially at short. I mean, now we're talking about a short that, 260. That's you know? the
0: beauty with, with Owings is thats that, is that you're, yeah. you're, you're getting him at short, and that just changes the dynamic so much. He's already 6-for-6 six six on the bases. We haven't seen the pop come, in, come yet, and he's shown some pop in the past before. You think he can get all the way up to double-digit homers, though?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to you know get too by. I mean, he hasn't hit one yet, so. I do think so. I don't know. Arizona heats up, man. Yeah.
0: No, I, and that's the thing. I don't want to get too bogged down in the fact that he hasn't hit one yet because he can go Danny Valencia for a weekend and all of a sudden his pace, you know, I mean, that's how quickly things change in baseball, right? Danny Valencia did. I, I'll take the,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. Yeah. He's the three home run game. It was a big, big one for Valencia. Now people are asking me if I should pick him up.
0: Right. Uh, I mean, you have five in two days.
1: And everybody was saying, should I drop him? You of, know, course, like, of course. Of course. Know, Ago, a powerless
0: so. third baseman, and now he's like, uh, "Psych! I do have power."
1: Yeah, yeah, and from when I talked to him, Valencia, I, I think I actually believe some of his uh, adjustments against uh, against righties. So um, I'll take uh, I'll take that. Okay, uh, I'll take it. Valencia. I think would be a great uh, shot insurance too. Um, you know, they, you could play something off there. But Owings, um, I'd set the over under on his season home runs. A steamer and them say four and five. I set the over/under at eight and have a hard time deciding over. But you know, just by setting the over/under at eight, I'm I'm liking him more than them.
0: Okay, I think that works. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, go, we can all go cry if we had Jay Happ or Jose Barrios in our lineups today. Happ gave up eight runs in two innings, and uh, that's that's not good. I, I I do I do know that much. I might not know a lot, but I do know that eight runs in two innings is not good, you know, we'll be <laughs> back in a couple days to talk more guys. of course, you guys can hit us up on Twitter at spore and at Eno Sers if you want us to talk about somebody we haven't been talking about recently. see if we can get him on the podcast. Eno, I'll catch you in two days.
1: all right, man Bye. thanks for listening.